was getting it. Uh, I don't have like a catchy hook introduction. Oh, thanks. I don't have like a catchy hook in- introduction. Uh, but what I do have is uh, words about this book, which we already got some words about this book before today. But um, whenever, whenever I see people come to faith in Jesus, it is almost always because they've read this book and they found words of life uh, in it. Um, whenever I see people drift from their faith in Jesus, it's because that they've stopped reading this book or trusting it. Um, so I'm so grateful to be able to open the Bible for you today um, and to hopefully help you read it better yourself uh, because you can't uh, can't have your only source of uh, scripture teaching be on a Sunday morning. Uh, you got to read it yourself. you got to keep reading it day in and day out um, because in the Bible are found words of life. Now, we've been doing this series on 1 Peter, uh, and so I looked back a little bit on the uh, beginning, the, the first two chapters of 1 Peter, just to see what the themes are uh, that are being developed in this, in this book. Uh, and of course, as you know, we found the theme of uh, uh, being exiles or strangers. Uh, we also found this theme of being holy. In fact, one of maybe the biggest themes in First Peter is living a righteous life. Um, and then also this theme uh, that we have our hope uh, not on this earth, uh, but preserved for us in heaven. Um, but I want to look at those themes again really quick. Uh, I think the theme of being exiles, strangers and foreigners uh, on earth, uh, and the theme of being holy Holiness means set apart. Um, those two things are actually pretty similar. Uh, both of them, both of them, uh, holiness and exiles, uh, mean that we are set apart from other people, from from the, the general community. Um, and so it's just only natural that as exiles uh, and foreigners uh, that we would live a set apart life. Uh, and that's what Peter is kind of driving at through all five chapters of this book. Um, he wants people who um, who know Jesus uh, and who are uh, living in this Roman Empire. Uh, this is ancient Turkey, right? Uh, living in this Roman Empire to uh, demonstrate what it looks like to be citizens of heaven. Um, and as he goes through, he he speaks to everyone, but then he narrows it down, and that was uh, the last two weeks for you guys, uh, was uh, Peter narrowing it down to specific instructions to the community. Uh, He speaks to all people in chapter 2, verse 13, and then he speaks to servants, uh, and then he speaks to wives, and then he speaks to husbands, um, and then he comes back to all, and that's where we're going to start today, uh, in chapter 3, verse 8. After this list of all servants, wives, husbands, then he says, finally, and finally, of course, means that it's part of the section before, um, but it's also the closing of that section and moving on to the next section. So finally, and then he gives this list of instructions. Each of these instructions are going to set them apart from their unbelieving neighbors. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, um, and a humble mind. All of these things set them apart from their unbelieving neighbors. Right? They are they are supposed to be a set apart community. If you were to look closely. So if you were to look, just overview of the society where these people live, uh, these people are uh, you, you as well, you and I as well, uh, you would see a normal society functioning, people, people contributing to it, people uh, taking part in it. Uh, but if you were to examine it a little bit closer, you would see that some people live one way and the Christians live another way. 
so the Christians, even though they take part in the community and they give to the community uh, and they receive from the general community at large, uh, if you were to look closer, as I'll say again, like you would see Christians living one way that the, com- the rest of the community doesn't live. When you look at these, this list of five things, uh, they're like all-encompassing markers of a set-apart believing community. Um, and I want to read them again, just because uh, I think they're, they're self-explanatory, but they're also like really uh, like powerful. They're really uh, high standards, right? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I tell you, when I look at American culture, I say that American culture doesn't pursue any of these things. Um, but they do generally recognize them when they see them as good. Uh, so uh, in American culture, I don't see anybody pursuing, uh, for instance, unity of mind. Instead, uh, people like to be part of groups. Uh, groups that often differentiate themselves, uh, they define themselves by how they're different from other groups. Uh, we are this, uh, we're not that. But in the Christian, uh, in the Christian group, uh, we're supposed to all think the same way uh, as each other. Uh, sympathy, sympathy is kind of a bad word uh, today. I know it's it's not supposed to be, but uh, people have uh, moved from sympathy to something called empathy. Um, personally, I think they're, they're not all that different. <laughs> um, the whole idea of sympathy and empathy is both is feeling together with someone else. Uh, the Bible talks about this in other places. You might have heard, uh, mourn with those who mourn, uh, weep with those who, who weep, um, and uh, celebrate with those who celebrate, right? This is a normal uh, Christian uh, thing, but it's not... Um, it's not so much an American cultural thing. Um, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Like these are things that people don't pursue, especially a humble mind. Like people, people love to boast about themselves. Um, and the Americans seek independence, which by nature is a, uh, um, a prideful thing. I can do it myself. But... All of these things, too, uh, when Americans see them, they recognize them as good, and that's important for um, the passage today. People, people see a humble person and they go, oh, look, look how humble he is. I can never be that humble, but like, look how humble he is. Right? Uh, people see somebody uh, taking care of someone else uh, with brotherly love and with um, compassion, a tender heart, um, and they... They think, oh, maybe I could never stoop to uh, to help a person like that person can. But uh, it's so good. Uh, and so uh, this is some, like we're supposed to be set apart, doing something different, uh, doing something different that other people don't pursue. But uh, it looks good uh, because it is good. Uh, and Peter is gonna Peter is gonna drive in on that uh, a little bit further later on. But Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter goes further in his, in his instructions uh, by then referencing some of Jesus' instructions from Matthew 5:44. He says, "Do not repay evil with evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless." Uh, and this is uh, reminiscent of Jesus' instructions from Matthew 5:44, where uh, Jesus says. Um, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, another thing that people don't do. Um, you ever, you remember, like when you're a kid and you got in a fight with somebody, you, you know, got in a fight with your brother or sister, and then your mom came over and stopped the fight, and you said, "He started it." That's that's uh, something, of course, I did all the time with my sister. I fought with her all the time, but. Um, it's, it's right out in the Christian community. Um, it's not allowed. Uh, when somebody pays you evil, uh, you pay them blessing. When somebody pays you hatred, 
uh, you pay them blessing. Um, blessing here uh, in this passage uh, isn't just like saying something nice about them, but blessing is like praying for their good. That's what blessing is. Blessing is uh, wishing that God would bless them, uh, which is the same thing that Jesus uh, said to do. Pray for those who persecute you. And the idea, uh, the idea is that it will give you blessing. This is this uh, strange idea. I know it sounds strange, right? That when you do good things, good comes back on you. Uh, I, I tried to decide how much I needed to convince you guys that um, that good brings good, uh, and that uh, blessing begets blessing, and that righteousness brings peace and wealth. Uh, because I know that we all have this natural uh, kind of feeling that that's how it should be. When we do good, we should get good back. Um, but I know that we also have experienced uh, something different in this world. We've seen people who uh, don't do good receive good. Uh, and we've seen people who do good uh, receive evil in return. Um, and so there's this tension. Uh, but the basic economy of God... Uh, is this, that when you do good, you get good back. Uh, and when you do uh, evil, you get evil back. Uh, I heard a professor call this uh, Wisdom 101. Wisdom 101. It's fil- Proverbs is filled with it. I'm going to read you some Proverbs in a second. Uh, but the whole idea of, of Proverbs and Wisdom 101 is that when you do good, you're blessed for it. Here's some examples. I found it of a spot in Proverbs where there's several of these in a row, but you could like flip the page to anywhere in Proverbs and you get this idea. Um, and so here's some from Proverbs 10. It says, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, uh, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. So, like, right, we've heard this in, in Proverbs. Uh, we've heard this uh, in Psalms. It's about to be in Psalm 34, which we already heard from today. Um, thank you for putting that uh, not once but twice in the service already. Uh, it was not once but twice in Peter already uh, uh, quoted. Um, but this idea in the basic economy of God, this wisdom 101, is that you do good uh, and you get good back. Uh, bless because you're called to bless so that you can receive blessing uh, in return. Uh, this or this uh, Psalms 34 kind of just highlights it in very clear terms. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Basically, you want a good life? Be honest. Don't talk bad about other people. Seek peace, right? And then God will hear your prayers. It doesn't always work that way, does it? That's why when Peter, uh, if you turn the page, uh, when Peter says in verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Um, He's talking, he's saying something that's both true and rhetorical at the same time. Because remember, when you do do all these things uh, that Christians are called to do, brotherly love, humble mind, uh, tender heart. Uh, When you do all these things that Christians are called to do, uh, people see that and they can't say anything bad about you because they see something good. But at the same time, there really is the idea that it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. Um...
just one verse later uh, than what we read today in Psalm 34 uh, is kind of another verse that unlocks maybe uh, the keys to wisdom 201, uh, which is also found maybe in Ecclesiastes and in Job. Um, but Psalm 34, 19, uh, so continuing one verse on from what we read earlier today, says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'll say that again. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not few, like in Wisdom 101, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the key is that um, the Lord delivers them from them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And so I think we don't have to like argue here. I don't have to convince you that uh, there will be afflictions. As a Christian, as a human being, there will be afflictions. Uh, but for a Christian, uh, we find our hope in the Lord. And the Lord delivers us from the law. Um, the idea here is like you are going to suffer. I don't have to tell you twice, but I'm going to tell you twice. Uh, you are going to suffer. Um, get used to the idea. There's this like a weird American aversion to suffering. Um, it sounds weird to say that it's weird to be to have an aversion to suffering, uh, but kind of throughout history people just lived and they had the idea that they were going to suffer and they um, came up with philosophies to get through it. Uh, we're going to suffer and so um, suffering is like, it's it's discipline, it's good for you. Like uh, Suffering hardens you and gets you, it makes you tough. Uh, uh, all these existed in the past uh, and I'm getting this, my source for this is uh, Tim Keller's book, Suffering, uh, which is a really great uh, resource uh, for anyone who has questions about uh, why people suffer uh, or who needs help going through suffering. That's really like a comprehensive uh, book on that. Um, but he notes that the uh, American aversion to suffering is a kind of a relatively recent phenomenon. This idea uh, that we're well enough off uh, that we can fool ourselves into thinking that we can avoid suffering. Uh, which isn't true. But it seems that way. Uh, we, we seek enough comfort. We have enough comfort surrounding us uh, that maybe the worst that we'll go through is a, um, you know, a, a speeding ticket or a car accident or something like that, a minor car accident. right? But we all know that, that much worse things do happen to us. Um, and actually, too, I don't want to minimize uh, small suffering either. Like Suffering is suffering. Uh, if you go through suffering, I encourage you not to say, oh, well, there's people starving in Africa or there's people uh, being persecuted uh, in China. Like, I encourage you not to say my suffering doesn't matter because, uh, because other people are suffering worse than me. Um, the suffering you're going through is the suffering that God has given you. Uh, and he's given it to you for uh, a reason, a reason that we don't always know. Uh, we sang some words earlier today that come from Job. Uh, you give and take away. Uh, remember that Job received maybe an inordinate amount of suffering more than most of us receive. Uh, he lost uh, all his possessions and all of his uh, house and almost all of his family except his wife. Um, and th uh, what was the reason for that? Does anybody remember what the reason for that was? Satan was tested and wanted to test him. And do you remember if Job ever found out that reason? No. Yeah, he never found out. God never told him why. Um and I think that's uh, so. When I talk, when I when I say to you that that God maybe gives you suffering for a reason, first of all, I apologize if you're going through suffering right now because it's usually like the last thing that you want to hear. <laughs> God is giving you this for a reason, but um, it's true. 
Um, and I also apologize that I can't tell you the reason and you might never know the reason, but, um, but God knows it. Uh, the Bible is, has no shortage of uh, addressing suffering. Uh, I just have a few examples here. Uh, I'm just going to rattle them off. There's Hebrews 12, James 1, 2 Corinthians 13, Acts 5, Philippians 4, uh, John 15, um, I see some people writing them down, so I'll say them again. <laughs> Hebrews 12, James 1, 2 Corinthians 13, Acts 5, Philippians 4, John 15. Um, it's only a small uh, portion of uh, the New Testament talking about suffering. Uh, but all these passages, uh, they either promise suffering to the Christian or they teach the Christian how to deal with suffering. Um, and in many cases, they teach the Christian to rejoice when they suffer, which is kind of a strange concept if you think about it as an American. Americans, instead of avoiding suffering, we're supposed to rejoice uh, when we suffer. Uh, uh, instead of having this aversion to suffering, we're supposed to um, face it head on. Uh, there's no like there's no need to run from it. Suffering. I should say this, suffering, just like death, uh, is a result of the fall, and it's evil. Um, and so we don't go looking for suffering. Uh, but when suffering comes to us, uh, we're, we don't back down from it. We don't shy away from it. Uh, we don't have to worry. And I, that's the whole thing. That's like the key to, first, uh, to Peter's uh, 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 wisdom about suffering. Uh, is that we don't have to worry. Uh, we have our hope. Uh, no matter what anybody does to us on this earth, uh, remember from chapter 1 that our inheritance is preserved for us in heaven. Uh, and that inheritance can't, uh, it can't perish. It can't spoil. Nobody can take it away from us. Uh, it's preserved in heaven for us uh, so that when we go through suffering, uh, there's no reason to fear And so that's what Peter says in this next section. You're basically, uh, section two says, you're going to suffer, so do it right. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. I'm going to skip down to 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I'm going to read those two verses together again. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, and so this passage, uh, in particular in First Peter, is about uh, suffering unjustly. So some of those other passages I read are about uh, other types of suffering. Like Hebrews 12 is about any type of suffering. So is James 1. Uh, so 2 Corinthians. Acts 5 is more about uh, being persecuted. Um, Philippians about um, uh, being content no matter what the circumstances. But First Peter is addressing a people who are uh, being persecuted in some sort of way. Uh, we're not exactly sure what the uh, specific persecution was that they were going that they were going through, uh, but we do have some hints from earlier in First Peter. We know from First Peter too uh, uh, that uh, people are speaking against them. Uh, where was that? Uh, yeah, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Uh, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God. Um, so at the very least, people were uh, speaking uh, evil against them, uh, which I don't think uh, I don't think is foreign to American Christians anymore. Uh, maybe ten or twenty years ago, it was a foreign concept that if you're a Christian, people would speak uh, evil against you. But uh, it's coming to the surface now. Um, there really is like a difference between suffering unjustly and suffering justly. Uh, I remember uh, 
when I was in fourth grade, way back when, more than 20 years ago now, uh, I was on the playground. I used to go out every uh, every day during recess and play four square. Um, and there was you know, a group of us that always played four square. Uh, and there was this fifth grade kid who always used to make fun of this other fourth grader uh, who he, every day he was like, He'd come play Foursquare, and he'd call him Applehead, 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 you know, which is to a fourth grader. That's devastating, of course. Um, and so one day, I said, "Hey, fifth grader, I don't know what his, I don't remember his name anymore." <laughs> said, "Stop calling him names." Like just, I stood up to him, right? And he he said, "Okay, I'll stop calling him Applehead uh, if I can call you." And I had. Uh, uh, I wore my hair longer back then, as I have always done. So, so if I can call you Hishi. So I'll stop calling him Applehead if I can call you Hishi. Uh, and I said, okay, you can do that. Uh, and so for like the next couple of days, I, until he forgot, <laughs> uh, he called me Hishi. And uh, if I suffered any from that, uh, I, I actually kind of rejoiced because I knew that I saved another kid from being called names. Uh, two years later, in sixth grade, I remember being behind a kid uh, at the drinking fountain, uh, and he was taking longer than I thought he should. Uh, and I, I was impatient, and so I poked him with the back of my pencil, and he turned around and hit me in the face. Uh, whether or not you think that being hit in the face is an appropriate retaliation for being poked with a pencil, um, I actually did apologize to him later because I was uh, impatient. I poked, I instigated him. Uh, he maybe re- retaliated more than you would expect, uh, but I, I would call my suffering uh, just in that case uh, and unjust in the first case. Uh, and so you can see by my playground examples that there's a difference between just suffering and unjust suffering. Um, but there's the thing, the sort of thing happens today too. Uh, recently, uh, there was the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, as everybody, as you all have heard. Um, and there are several states that have, uh, in response to that, uh, outlawed abortion completely. Um, And in these states, uh, there are uh, pregnancy centers Uh, instead of instead of like a Planned Parenthood that provides um, medical care in various capacities. um, uh, Christians have opened up these uh, pro-life pregnancy centers to help people get through uh, pregnancy and to bring them the resources that they need to carry uh, their baby to term. And some uh, pro-choice, I could even call it pro-choice terrorist group. Um, There are some pregnancy centers that have been vandalized uh, and even um, set fire uh, by pro-choice people. uh, Because, what, these centers are bastions of pro-life. But what what have they ever done? All all they've ever done is help pregnant women... uh, be cared for and take care of their their child until they can until they can give birth, um, and so that's some true and real unjust suffering that's going on uh, in the world today. Uh, it's also happening uh, in other countries uh, where there are Christians who can't be Christians uh, because their uh, families or their governments persecute them uh, just for speaking the name of Jesus. Uh, and so there really is unjust suffering going on in the world. And so Peter wants his audience here, who is undergoing some sort of persecution, to suffer rightly so that they can be blessed, because it's better to suffer for doing good, if it's God's will, than for doing evil. Um, and he lists uh, several things, six things, six ways to suffer well. Uh, first is to have no fear and no distress. I have no fear and no, don't be troubled. There's no need for that. Uh, because even if your uh, persecutor should kill you, 
then you will have your inheritance right then and there. <laughs> Remember, Paul, in a different letter, said uh, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Um, and so there's really nothing to be afraid of. Uh, I'm re- there's really no reason to be distressed. I know, so don't let me, when I say that, don't let me stop you from uh, grieving uh, if you're going through suffering. It's okay to grieve. Read the Psalms, people lamented. <laughs> Uh, it's okay to do that. But there's no need to fear. There's nothing that anybody on earth can do to you um, that will counteract the blessing that God can give you, whether it's here on earth uh, or in heaven. No, but on, on the contrary, uh, you're supposed to then, the second one is to honor Christ as holy. It says, in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Um, this, this is um, Peter's way of saying, like, while you're persecuting, don't sin. Right? Jesus is holy. Uh, he already said in this letter, um, be holy because God is holy. Uh, and so honor, honor Christ as holy by not sinning when sin comes upon you. It's kind of like, uh, don't repay evil with evil, right? Honor Christ as holy. Uh, the third thing is to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. And that's um, cutting off in the sentence there, but uh, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Uh, this assumes, again, that you're living a set-apart life because who's going to ask you the reason for the hope that you have if you're not displaying the hope that you have? Your life should look at, uh, in some way different. When you suffer, people should look at the way that you suffer and say, what? Why? Why, why does he think about it that way? Why does she have that great attitude? Uh, and then when they ask that, uh, then you're supposed to be ready to be prepared. Right? Uh, I, I hear people quote this verse all the time uh, just as a general like life uh, motto. Like, be ready with the gospel, uh, words of the gospel for anybody who asks you the hope that you have. Uh, Peter's context is suffering. Uh, yeah, be ready at all times, but like, be ready to suffer well so that people will ask you and then be ready to tell them about uh, Jesus because of it. Because Jesus went through it uh, and he was victorious. And so I went through it and I'm, I'm victorious through Jesus. How great is that? There's a song, I don't know if it's in your songbook, uh, You Sing Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Oh, so good. Listen to it. Look that up. Write that down and look it up. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Uh, it's by City of Light. Uh, they're a, a band, a church band, uh, writing songs that, that they, that's supposed, they're supposed to be easy for the church to sing and they're supposed to have really great lyrics and they do. Um, it's a song that says, uh, no matter what, Jesus has given me, like, I'm victorious, I have blessing, I um, have power, I have salvation, uh, yet not I, uh, but it's all because of what Jesus has done to me. Um, So I encourage you to listen to that song. It always uh, um, smacks me in the face every time I listen to it. It's great. Um, But yeah. Uh, being prepared to make a defense, and then the, the, the next thing is uh, to suffer with hope, uh, which I kind of referenced that already uh, because it's backwards, but you're supposed to suffer with hope so that people will ask you why you have that hope so that you can give a defense. Um, you're supposed to suffer with hope uh, because you have that inheritance stored up for you in heaven. Um, and then the next one is to suffer uh, with gentleness and respect. Again, this, uh, this mirrors uh, honoring Christ as holy. Uh, 
It is a uh, function of being set apart, as a function of living righteously. Uh, it is this, the same concept of not repaying evil for evil, right? Uh, um, suffer with gentleness and respect, uh, even for your persecutors. Uh, and then again, uh, suffer with a good conscience. In other words, uh, and he'll talk about this uh, a little bit later in First Peter, but um, uh, suffer with a good conscience. Don't suffer because you did something wrong. I mean, you're gonna, you might suffer if you do something wrong because that's how it often works, discipline and such. Uh, but don't suffer for that. No, do right and suffer for that instead. That's, a, that's suffering with a good conscience. Uh, yeah, because it is better for suffering, better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Um, our behavior is for Christ. Our hearts honor Christ. Christ is at the center of our lives and we follow him even into suffering, right? Because we honor Christ. And that's what this next section uh, Peter is going to talk about. Um, the, my title for the third section is Jesus did it first. It's a good example for us. Um, because of what Jesus did, we know that we can do it too. In fact, we are called to honor Jesus so highly that we are honored to be like him. Let me say that again. We are called to honor, to esteem Jesus so highly that we consider it an honor to be like him. And I think if I say that, a lot of people would agree with me, but then they might only be thinking of Jesus' ministry. I think, oh yeah, we should love each other. We should um, like be good and preach the word and all, like because Jesus did it. Uh, but remember what the most important thing was about Jesus' ministry. What was the most important thing he did? Uh, he suffered. And he died on the cross. And he rose again. Um, and so, when we try to be like Jesus without pursuing suffering, we know that suffering will come on us and we're supposed to consider that an honor. The Acts 5 passage I mentioned before, uh, Acts 5.41, Peter went through this himself. So uh, if you're saying, Peter, put your money where your mouth is, uh, he went through this himself. He went and he healed a guy. No big deal. Uh, And then he uh, preached the gospel. Uh, He was the leader of a community that took care of the poor and uh, ate together and uh, like nothing bad was going on. And the Jewish leaders took him in and they uh, flogged him and told him not to preach. Uh, and, they, and John as well. Peter and John did this together. Um, and as they're leaving, uh, surely uh, you know, bleeding from their backs from the flogging, they look at each other and they smile. They rejoice. It says they rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Um, and that is what Peter's getting at in this next section. For Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Notice Christ lived righteously, which is why Peter wants us to live righteously too. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters, that while we were unrighteous, Christ suffered for us uh, in order to bring us to God. And now that we're on the other side of that, uh, we can suffer, we can follow Christ into suffering um, and not be worried about it, but consider it an honor. Jesus lived out unity with God. He lived out sympathy. He lived out brotherly love. He lived out a tender heart. He lived out a humble mind. He did not repay evil for evil. He suffered unjustly. And what was the result? The result is victory. Peter uses this difficult passage to, uh, that's coming up next to talk about Christ's victory. 
Um, uh, but the point, whatever we say about the next uh, few sentences, uh, the point is that Jesus was victorious. Um, because he died and rose again, uh, we can count on uh, victory and rising again as well. And so then he goes into this uh, reference to the days of Noah, Noah uh, saved through water and baptism. Um, and I want to take this moment to uh, talk to you about reading difficult passages in the Bible. Um, because when I first read these few sentences, they weren't, it wasn't immediately apparent to me what they meant. Um, and my guess is that for most of you, it was the same thing. And these passages exist in the Bible. Um, first, let me say that the same faith that allows us to go through suffering with hope um, also allows us uh, to not understand everything that we read. Uh, we, we take what we understand. Right? Deuteronomy 29.29 uh, says... Uh, the, the hidden things belong to our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Uh, and so some things are hidden. Some things even that uh, are written in the Bible are, are foggy to us. Um, and that's okay. Uh, those things aren't for us right now. Uh, but they, that same faith allows us to be patient. Um, allows us to take time. And so if you, if you read this, uh, passage about uh, God's patience in the days of Noah, uh, and you just can't make sense of it. You just can't figure it out. Put it on a list. And be patient. Wait. Keep reading the Bible. Uh, and someday, God may give you a greater understanding that you didn't have before. Um, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, also, Take difficult passages and read multiple versions of the Bible. Um, we're reading the ESV, and there's some parts of this passage that um, knowing Greek, uh, or at least knowing how to use Greek resources. Uh, I like, There's some passages I like better in the ESV, uh, but there's also some parts of this passage I like better in the NIV. Um, but the honest truth is that like, it can be interpreted both ways. And so take the ESV, take the NIV, take the NASB, you know, take a number of versions and read them because uh, difficult Greek, you don't need to know Greek. Difficult Greek has been translated into different words by different translators. And so you can get a sense for all the different meanings uh, that are possible. And you don't need to know Greek for that. You just read multiple versions in English. Um, and they'll give you a sense. For instance, uh, this word appeal in verse 21 could mean appeal or it could mean pledge. That Greek word can mean both things. Um, and both things fit. If it's appeal, uh, it fits really well with the teaching over the whole New Testament. And if it's the word pledge, it fits really well with First uh, Peter's argument. So, um, like, it's not a big deal <laughs> which one you take it to mean. Um I, it's my job today, it's my job to have an opinion on it. So I will talk about this passage a little bit uh, briefly. Um, so I'll read it real quick. Uh, Jesus was made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Okay, spirits in prison, who are they? Well, uh this passage appears to refer to a time after Jesus was raised from the dead. So, uh, the spirits in prison, this passage is not referring to, uh, in my opinion, uh, it's not referring to Jesus descending into hell uh, on Holy Saturday before he was raised again. Um, that's a tradition that uh, some Christians believe. Uh, that he died, he went and preached the spirits in hell, and he came and uh, rose again. Uh, whether or not that happened, uh, or other passages that might allude to it, 
I don't think that this passage is about that because uh, it seems like he was put to death and made alive and then he proclaims the spirits in prison. Um, also, when you see the word spirits in the plural in the New Testament, uh, it usually is not talking about human beings. It's usually talking about uh, uh, angels, fallen angels, uh, supernatural powers. Um, so, when Jesus is uh, proclaiming to the spirits in prison uh, who disobeyed uh, during the days of Noah, I think we're talking about uh, supernatural uh, fallen angels who are currently imprisoned, uh, who Jesus went and proclaimed. Jesus, he didn't go and proclaim the gospel to them because uh, the gospel is for humans. Uh, but instead, he went and proclaimed victory to them. He said, uh, you thought, you've heard this before, right? That uh, the, the devil thought he was winning his greatest victory when Jesus died on the cross. But instead, Jesus uh, won the greatest victory by raising, rising from the dead. Uh, and so that's what he was doing. He was going to proclaim uh, to the powers uh, that he's victorious, that his death wasn't the end. Um, and then in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, um, or they were saved through water, is what other versions say. Um, in other words, um, I think it means that they were saved uh, from the evil people of their day through the flood, that they, um, they got in the ark and they were saved by the water from the people evil, the evilness of the day. Um, and notice that it uh, compares to verse 20, uh, the next verse, verse 21. Um, these people, uh, Noah was saved through water, and now Christians are saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we have two methods of salvation here. And then we have this correspondence to baptism. Uh, baptism uh, uh, corresponds through the to the water that saved Noah, and that it is uh, water. G or Peter's making a connection of water to water. Um, so Noah was saved through water. We were saved through the resurrection of Jesus, but we have baptism as a symbol of that uh, salvation. And baptism in uh, the church history is is bound up with uh, with conversion and trusting in Jesus. And so uh, I know sometimes. People today wait to be baptized until they're ready to take the next step or whatever that means. But um, when Peter was writing, that was uh, unheard of. You were you converted to Jesus, read Acts, it's all there. <laughs> you converted to Jesus um, and then you were baptized right away. And so the people that Peter was writing to uh, would associate baptism with conversion. Um, they associate baptism with salvation. Uh, even though... I don't think this passage says that it's baptism itself that saves you. And I think Peter's saying that too. Uh, he's saying baptism isn't a removal of the filth from the flesh. Uh, he's saying that um, it's the resurrection of Jesus <laughs> that does that. Um, baptism is instead, um, this ESV says appeal. I prefer um, a pledge, but it's, uh, it's either an appeal to God for a good conscience, saying, um, God, I have nothing before you. Uh, I appeal to you to uh, make me righteous. Or it's a pledge of a good conscience, saying, because you saved me, God, uh, I will now live righteously. Which I think it's pledged because that's what Peter's been saying throughout this book, live righteously. And so because Jesus uh, is victorious, which is really what I want you to get, whether or not you understood what I just said about um, the spirits and the days of Noah and baptism, uh, what I want you to know is that Jesus is victorious uh, and because of that, we don't have to fear suffering. Jesus is victorious. That makes us victorious. We don't have to fear suffering. It's because Jesus is victorious. We, we are capable of living righteously. There's nothing to fear. Uh, there's, 
There's no need to uh, distress. Uh, we are capable, because of the Holy Spirit, of uh, deciding on the good and putting aside the evil, whether or not that leads to suffering. Um, so yeah, go live in Christ's victory. Go live with your inheritance uh, that you know that your inheritance is set aside in heaven. Uh, and go live righteously. Uh, let's pray. Sovereign Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, while we were still your enemies, you went and you did something that no one else would do. Uh, you died. You suffered and died for us. And so God, I pray that you would make this real to us. Um, God, I pray that we would get to know you better. That we would know who you are so that we can follow you. That we would know Jesus and his suffering and so that we can rejoice when we suffer as well. Uh, that we would know the love of Jesus so that we can have love for our enemies too. That we would know uh, the, the humility of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus and the tenderheartedness of Jesus so that we can live all those things among ourselves a real Christian community uh, that looks different uh, from the surrounding community. Father, give all that to us. God, convict us where we fall short, uh, not so that we would feel ashamed, but so that we can um, ad address it and make it right. Lord, give us the power and the strength by your Holy Spirit to live a righteous life that is beyond reproach, Give us the power by your Holy Spirit to live a life uh, that looks different enough that people take notice uh, so that we have opportunity to speak the gospel. And God, I pray for all, all of those going through suffering now that they would feel your presence with them because you promised to be with us. And all of those about to go through suffering that you would prepare them uh, so that they would be ready when the time comes, um, so that they can, so that we can take joy, um, that we can see suffering, and know that we are like Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.